the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, episode 509 for Tuesday, July 8th, 2014. And welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, the show where you send in your questions, tips, and cool stuff found. We answer your questions. We share your tips. We share your cool stuff found sometimes. And all together, we like to learn something new about technology, Apple, the Mac, all that fun stuff. This episode is sponsored in part by Smile at smilesoftware.com. Today, we'll talk a little bit more about PDF Pen for OS X later in the show. Also, this episode is sponsored by Gazelle at gazelle.com, a great place to sell off all the old hardware that you don't need so that you can make room for new hardware. Here in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. Here in very warm <laughs> Fairfield, Connecticut. This is John F. Braun. And we have a special guest, guest with us today, and I actually don't know what city. I don't even know where you, if you want to divulge your city, but we have Alf Watt. Hi, how you doing, Alf? I'm doing well today. Thanks, you guys, for having me. I am in sunny San Francisco today here. It's, uh, we're enjoy, enjoying typical San Francisco summer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that bring, bring your bring your parkas, leave your shorts at home. That's right. Cold and cold and foggy all day. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah, it's warmer there in January often than it is in July. Uh, so, for those of you who don't know, Alf, uh, please tell us uh, a little bit about what you do and and a little bit about what you've done to give it uh, some some context here. Uh, yeah, happily. I you know so. Um, my maybe greatest claim to internet fame, if you want to even call it that, um, is about uh, 11 or 12 years ago, I started work on a little app called iStumbler, um, which has you know sort of grown up over the last decade to be, uh, you know, uh, I think probably one of the most complete wireless sort of diagnostic um, and discovery tools. So we're covering Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, um, network services where you're connected, and more recently, sort of the location uh, services aspect. Um, and over the course of this, you know, decade, I had an opportunity to work um, at the Fruit Company for about five years on Wi-Fi user experience there for Mac OS. Um, and most recently, I worked for uh, Ruckus Wireless, um, which is an enterprise Wi-Fi vendor. On uh, We worked on an entire suite of mobile apps for them. So I managed the team that produced, uh, I think, six or ten apps, depending on how you wanted to count them. Um, so I've been working in the sort of intersection of Wi-Fi and user experience for more than a decade now, and I absolutely love it. And I'm <laughs> really happy to have a chance to talk to the the crowd here yeah it's great you know you and i met last year we conversed via email uh, many times in fact the three of us have for for years uh, as we've mentioned i stumbler on the show and had wi-fi questions you've actually you've participated in the show more than just writing i stumbler you're you're often the expert that we go to when when there's something uh wi-fi related that's that's beyond our our scope here but uh but you and i got to meet last year at wwdc i think it was last year right was it last year or two years ago? I don't just know. last year. It was just last year. Just last year, right? Yeah, and uh, and had a great interview that that uh, poor John Martellaro had to take and transcribe because uh, as as folks are already hearing, uh, both Alf and I, in addition to John, are people that like to talk. So, uh, but it was a great interview, and and it's still up on Mac Observer, and we'll link to it. But uh, but when we had the opportunity to get you here on the show, uh, 
that was something you couldn't do when you were at Apple and probably couldn't do when you were at Ruckus, although maybe we could have and we just missed the opportunity. But here we are. So we have collected all sorts of Wi-Fi questions from all of you that we'll talk about in a little bit. But Alf, tell us it's, you're you're now out on your own and iStumbler is at least the the first of your your products here. Tell us a little bit about what you're doing with iStumbler now. Um, yeah, it's, it's kind of a terrifying process going from, you know, working for these companies to sort of, you know, trying to trying to set out independently in the, in the software marketplace. Um, and, you know, iStumbler has been a free product for more than a decade. Um, so there's a bit of a shock both for me and for, for some people moving it over to a to a paid app. Um, and there's really, you know, a couple of motivations for this. The one is I when I started this 10 years ago, I was a rank amateur. I, you know, didn't know much about Wi-Fi. I knew very little about programming for Mac OS. So I think when it when iStumbler sort of first um, came out, I didn't I didn't feel like it was in you know any way appropriate for me to charge for it, right? And um, I was just sort of goofing off, um, and um, you know having an opportunity to sort of make a career out of that over the past decade, um, you know one of the problems with any developer's life, I think, is that you, you start looking at all of the things that you would love to do if you just had, you know, the time and the resources. Um, so um, there's a really a lot of stuff in iStumbler, I think, to improve on. I'm, you know, just looking at the at the at the chat here, people have mentioned Bluetooth LE, which is absolutely on the uh, um, absolutely on the roadmap for us. Um, so there's a lot of improvements I'd like to make to iStumbler. Um, and, you know, it's much easier to do that if I'm uh, not, you know, juggling the day job and the app and everything else. So a um, little scary, big step. Um, but I'm really hoping that we, you know, I get an opportunity to make some really great tools um, because I think, you know, wireless is becoming more and more important to more of our lives every day. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, it's a little mysterious. It's a little magical. And I think, you know, the, the having really good tools to sort of pull back the veil and see what's really going on is, is helpful. And, and people care a lot about their communications. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and, and the way you've priced it here, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, is, is it's 20 bucks per user, but, but that gets you, gets it on all of your computers. Is that right? Yeah, $20 per human. Per human. Um, there you go. Perfect. <laughs> and um, yeah, I think I, I think that's a fair, you know, model for, for software. Uh, going, going from, you know, surcharging you for the three machines you have never, never seemed particularly, particularly fair to me. Um, so I, yeah, I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy just to get that, that one per person. Um, and if, you know, if you'd like to license it for your enterprise, you're welcome to contact the support address. We're more than happy to work with you on that. Sure. It, well, it's sort of the app store model, but, but un unfortunately or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, iStumbler is not something that you can put in the app store, right? Because you need access to things that the sandbox doesn't let you touch. Is that right? Correct. There is a sandboxing problem that prevents me from submitting to the app store. Um, the, you know, uh, crisis being opportunity. Um, the, the bad news, unfortunately, for all of the apps that are in the app store um, is they're stuck where they are um, because of the sandboxing restriction and the way Apple has um, set up the rules. They are allowed only to ship bug fixes. They can't add new features. Um, and so the, the, you know, and there's a number of them in the app store. Um, um, that are, you know, sort of 
you know, almost encased in amber at this point, right? right. Until right. until Apple fixes the sandbox for Wi-Fi tools, um, they're just going to be sort of stuck in whatever state they were at. Um, and it's been a little more than a year now since the sandboxing restrictions came into place in in full. So, um, so being outside the store is, you know. Um, gives me an opportunity to, to really innovate, uh, with the app. Um, and you know, it's, it's also, um, you, you do recover more revenue from your sales, uh, from being outside the app store versus in. Um, so there's a little bit of that. I, I would, I would love to put it in the app store though. I think the, the, what, what they've done with that, um, just in terms of making the sort of app purchase process much more approachable and user-friendly, um, is huge. And it's, you know, as an independent app developer, I, I, want to have access to the best distribution channel possible. And I, you know, keep my, keep my fingers crossed and I keep poking my, my friends back at Apple to try and make it happen. Sure. Yeah. Well, it, and, and they will do whatever it is they will do. Right. And you got to do what, what you want to do in the interim. And that's just how it needs to be. That's right. Yeah. Okay. I got a question, Alf. Go ahead and hit me. I don't want to hit you. I don't even know you. <laughs> <laughs> we just met. But, um, <clears throat> All right. So I stumbler, I've been a fan for a long time and Dave and I have highlighted it on, on numerous occasions because it's, you know, to me, just one of the best tools to, you know, scope out your, uh, Wi-Fi uh, universe, if you will. But the one thing that I'm curious about, uh, and you know, the features in here are, are just awesome for me to understand what's happening, you know, the channel width and the channel and all that I'm looking right now. Um, but here's a head scratcher and, and, and I'm sure you can address this. So as you probably know, there are third party adapters that some of us are privy to. Now, the one that, you know, I was a big fan of for a while, though they seem to have dropped off the face of the earth was the, uh, the Wi-Fi. And now the more recent one, which I'm very uh, enthusiastic about is the bear extender. Um, now, as far as I can see, unless I'm doing something wrong, if I have a bear extender plugged in, which is a Wi-Fi receiver plugs in the USB port, I stumbler and it seems no other Mac Wi-Fi utility can see it um, without getting, or maybe you can get geeky because that's kind of what we're about here. But uh, what's happening there? Is it a is it a problem why, with the way Apple why, architects Wi-Fi access or or what? Um, yes. So uh, in in order for a third party Wi-Fi adapter, whether it's USB or any other. Um, <clears throat> bus technology to work natively, um, there is an IO kit family that Apple would have to open up and that's not currently open. So um, what developers are able to do right now is extend. Um, so in the, in the IO kit, there are, uh, which is the driver architecture for Mac OS 10. Um, there, there are base classes for various types of things. So there's a, dis there's a display base class and a network adapter one. Um, and the one that third-party developers have access to is uh, just for Ethernet-like devices. Okay, um, so you're able to, you know, the bear, bear extenders and, and other third-party uh, manufacturers have have done the work to um, to integrate their products. But you'll notice with Bear Extender, they provide their own user interface for selecting networks and, and joining. Right. Right. So they're, they're right. not they're not integrated with the system utilities in this in the same way. Um, right. And that makes me sad because their utility is very light <laughs> in what it tells you, you know, compared to to iStumble or other utilities. And I, I wish I could get more info, but I can't. Is, is I, there a possibility that you or someone could I mean, could you could you conceivably if it was worth your time, write a plug in or would they have to write a plug in or, or how does that 
So I've talked to the bear extender team there because uh, oh, I have I've had, I have this exact question myself. I have one of their 11 AC adapters um, here. Um, Yes, it's certainly possible, and I would love to work with them on doing it. Um, we haven't come, we haven't gotten to the point where we've, uh, you know, sort of agreed to, to move forward with it. Um, I think, you know, I've I've looked at what they have there currently, and there's some, uh, there's a little bit of engineering debt to get paid back before it can really work, um, and that's you know sort of part of the the sticking point. Um, but yeah, it's. I think, you know, the the information that iStumbler gets from the system is, of course, you know, limited to what the system provides. The One of the advantages of working closely with uh, a third party vendor is we could we can actually pull in a lot more information. Um, so I'm eager to eager to, to do that. I would you know love to work with Bear or any other third party company that uh, that has hardware to, to do that. Um, well, so and now that is, now that you're on your own, you have the potential you have the freedom to do that, the flexibility to do that, if it makes sense in terms of the, the grand scheme of the rest of the stuff mm-hmm. you're doing, which is great. Right. Yeah. Well, as you yeah. said, engineering debt The thing is somebody would have to allocate time and resources and money. Right. Um, right. So you do that. And it's like, do you do that or they do that? And exactly the the bear, the bear extender stuff, not to, you know, shame them, but they're they're, If you, if you notice their stuff is all still 32 bit. Um, so that was the, that was sort of the big, um, the big catching point there is I would have had to do some serious conversion work. Um, and you know, without, without access to their source, that's, uh, that's, that's, and that just takes time to negotiate. So, um, so in that in that case, there's a very you know one specific technical issue. Um, the rest of it, yeah, no, there's there's definitely opportunity for that. Um, you know, there's there's also you know we could do iStumbler branded Wi-Fi adapters. I'm I'm not against that. Ooh, do a little get a, sure get someone to do a little pocket knife shaped uh, plastic enclosure. Yeah, because yeah, I got to say, I mean, but between the Wi-Fi and again, I think they just abandoned things at a certain point because it doesn't work on my current setup or bear extender. I mean, all I got to say is the bear extender. I mean, I'm picking up stuff, you know, as the name implies, I mean, I'm picking up, you know, like my local uh, cable company, I'm picking this up where the, my MacBook or my Mac mini doesn't even see it. And it, right. it's just an awesome product, but it's, it's limited in some ways. And that's one of them is it tells you almost nothing about the specifics of what's happening around you. Yeah. The, 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 the bear extender product is, I mean, it's, it's a hundred percent in the antennas there. They just put, you know, because you're outside the enclosure, you have a much bigger antenna. So it, it, then that works great. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's, it's a, it's, you know, the, the other, the other thing that you can do with custom hardware, um, or just, you know, dedicated hardware, that's not the built-in Wi-Fi radio, uh, would be sort of more detailed look, having a more detailed look at the RF spectrum, right? So iStumbler does a good job of showing you Wi-Fi networks. Um, what it can't show you are things like baby monitors and TV extenders and all of the other, you know, cordless phones, old cordless phones, all of the other 2.4 and five gigahertz, uh, radio technology that we use. That's not Wi-Fi. Um, so and this is, you know, one of the, one of the great challenges for people is dealing with those kind of interference problems. Um, that's interesting. Okay. Yeah. Thanks. And that may be a good lead in maybe Dave to our, I think our first question. Yeah. We, we have a question from the chat room. I'll say hi to everybody at MacGeekGab.com slash stream. And, and Alex Santos in the chat room asks a, a good question. I mean, it, you're, you're right, John, this is a great lead in is the question is, where do we send feature requests now? Now, you know, now that you've got all of us geeks thinking about, hey, wait a minute, there's there's stuff that we can't do that we could do if only, you know, this happened. So is it is it on Twitter at uh, at iStumbler or is it is there a place on iStumbler.net where people should uh, go to contact you, Al? 
Uh, you know, there's a support form on the store. You're welcome to type stuff in there. Uh, just an email to support at iStumbler.net goes right to me. I, I am the support staff as well as development and marketing and everything else. So, Right, right. Great. Okay, cool. That's uh, that's helpful. And, uh, and, and yeah, like I said, or like you said, John, this brings to mind all kinds of things. You know, Buffalo, uh, I'm a big fan of their routers, and they make some great Wi-Fi, uh, USB Wi-Fi adapters, but there is either limited or no Mac software for them. And, uh, and there should be because it's good stuff. So it's all kinds of good stuff. It's good. Yeah. Buffalo does a pretty, I actually have a bunch of Buffalo routers here for, uh, uh, their DDWRT routers Mm. for a special project. And yeah, I've, I've liked the hardware so far. Yeah, they do. They do a good job with the hardware. It's, um, the, the DDWRT thing is always, um, it's a moving target at first and then it settles in with each new piece of hardware. And I, I feel like the 1750 DHPD, which is their latest D, uh, DDWRT router, finally now has firmware that that is truly stable and 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 reliable and very fast and all of that good stuff, which is great. You know, it's nice to have a dual core router. I, it's amazing that we've come to that point. Yes. I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. Right. I mean, it, that that router is an 800 megahertz dual core uh, chip in it. And, and that's, it's crazy, right? I mean, my, you know, I always think back to my first computer, which was an Apple two C, which was, you know, 1600 times slower than that. And, uh, you're, you're, you're dating yourself a little bit, but yeah, I, well, I've, I've, we've I've come a long ways. That's right. We've been doing this show over nine years. So dating ourselves is something that we've sort of, you know, left in the past. So <laughs> we don't, we don't worry about that anymore here. Folks, folks know who we are. That's right. All right. Uh, I want to I'm sure there's going to be more of this as we get into some tangents here. But I, I want to a- answer some questions that uh, that people have sent in, because I think I think that's going to lead to some great discussions. First, I definitely want to talk about our first sponsor, which is Smile at smilesoftware.com. They make all kinds of great apps. They make text expander. Uh, they, they make disk label and they make PDF pen for uh, both iOS and OS 10. And today I get to talk about PDF pen for OS 10 in a, in a nutshell, what this does is it allows you to edit and manipulate PDFs on your Mac. Uh, you can take a, an image and store it in there of your signature or of, you can store all kinds of things in there. I store my signature in there that I've scanned in. I, you can also store it, which I do my name, uh, so that when I have to sign a document, I can just pull things right out of there. That's all stored in iCloud or can be stored in iCloud if you want it to be. And, uh, and then that will sync from your Mac to your iOS devices. So you've got those, uh, wherever you want them, you can, uh, fill out and save PDF forms with it. And with PDF pen pro, you can actually create your own PDF forms, which is really cool and super handy. Uh, one thing that it just always blows me away with, with PDF pen is that you can take a PDF and you can actually edit the text inside it. Uh, hopefully you wouldn't do this for nefarious purposes, but, uh, but you can do it for any purpose you want. You can, you know, if you get a PDF, say that somebody created for you and it's got a typo in it, you can fix that typo, uh, all kinds of possibilities open up and it's super handy. You can mark up PDFs. You can add, uh, stickies to them. You can add all kinds of different things so that if you're, uh, if you've got a document that you're reviewing and somebody sends it to you, you can mark it up and send it back to them. You can reorder pages, you can remove pages, uh, or you can take out, 
you know, a segment of your PDF of your, of the pages from your PDF and save that as a separate PDF. And if you scan something in that doesn't have editable text, PDF pen has an OCR engine in it, meaning it can take that text and, or take that image that was scanned and turn it into text that you can then edit uh, or simply save as a PDF. Once it's, once it's converted to text, it actually takes up a lot less space than an image does. And that makes it really, really helpful for portability, all that good stuff. As I said, uh, it's available, available for iPad and iPhone. They also have PDF pen scan plus, which uh, is a mobile scanner app that can, that saves directly to PDFs. Uh, which is really cool and and something that uh, that I know I was looking for uh, before they released it. So check all this out, smilesoftware.com. Make sure uh, you let them know that we sent you. They will ask you during the checkout process when you are purchasing. If you're if you're purchasing on on the uh, on their site, and uh, it lets them know that that what we're doing here helps them out, and that's a that's a good quid pro quo. It helps us, and we appreciate that. So check them out, smilesoftware.com. And with that. We will go to the first email that we have here, which is from Alex. Great question to start with. He says, for those of us that live in high density housing, like an apartment complex, what can you do to improve communication among your own devices, preferably without just escalating a wattage battle with the neighbors? In my complex, I can see somewhere between seven and 20 distinct Wi-Fi networks, depending on the current neighbors device I'm using and where exactly I'm standing. The signal in my bedroom is good enough to browse the internet, but insufficient for streaming standard definition video, even though it's only about 20 feet from the access point. Right now, I'm extending a wired connection to stationary devices with Mocha, uh, which is uh, uh, Ethernet over coax. And he says, but that doesn't help the iPhone and iPad. I could add another access point on one of the Mocha endpoints, but that just seems like I'm adding to the problem. Is there a geekier solution? And I will throw this to you, Alf, uh, to start us and we'll pass it around. Sure. Yeah. I, before, before we get on that, I just, I, if I can say really quickly, uh, just a note about your sponsor. Um, I know, I know the guys from smile very well. They're here in San Francisco. Um, and not only is it great products, there's great people making them. So yeah, please. PDF Penza is saved my bacon a number of times. I highly recommend it. So awesome. I can add, add, throw that on the fire there quickly. Absolutely. Uh, but, but getting back to the, the apartment complex, um, question, uh, density is one of the greatest challenges that we're going to be facing in wireless um, moving you know, into the next decade or century even. Um, and if you, you look at the trend, um, so, you know, so if, you, if you sort of rewind the tape back to the, the birth of radio, um, we had very, very large transmitters on very, very high points with very, very high power. Um, so like the, the original sort of uh, ship to shore telegraph systems, um, they were they were putting more power into those antennas than we would you know consider safe uh, in, in this day and age. Um, uh, well, I mean. We've learned a lot about EM safety, you know, so the, the, the guys that do climb up on like an AM for if you're if you're working near AM equipment, for example, um, you have to wear a bunny suit, a special sort of ferrety jacket um, to protect you from RF burns. Um, 
So, and over time, every new generation of wireless technology has moved to smaller coverage area with more radios. Um, so, you know, we uh, if you, cellular is a really good example of this. So, the the original amps cellular network, um, you know, the cells were still a pretty good size, and the radios were still pretty big. Um, and then we went to digital cell, cellular, and the sh- cells shrunk again. And every every step down this this chain of, of wireless technology. Um, We've got more smaller cells, um, and that trend is going to continue, I, I predict, until we basically have one access point per room in every human inhabited space. Um, and it's, it, it's strictly physics that dictates this. So this is a, there's a there, you know, the, the speed of light is um, a big part of, you know, what we do, <laughs> what, why we do a lot of the things that we do in RF. It is a fundamental limit that we actually hit fairly often um, in its different flavors. Um, so long story short, um, the correct answer to this question is put in more access points um, and turn the power down. Ah. Um, and the the you know, this is this is something that actually enterprise deployments are, are pretty good at. Um, but unfortunately, consumer devices, because you typically only have one per household, are geared to, you know, sort of t- turn the power up to as, as high as they feel like they need to go. Um so if you have routers that allow you to manage your transmit uh, levels, then I would put in that second router and just turn the radios down on both of them. Um, and that that's going to actually help you um, get better bandwidth throughout the house. Um, and the two access points will contend with each other less if they're on close or the same channels. Um, but yeah, the, the, the overall trend in radio and the way to deal with this sort of highly congested situation is more access points at lower power levels. If you can, if you have the, if you have the technology to manage that. So, so, so will that work though? I, I mean, in, in, if Alex goes and gets, uh, you know, a couple of access points or has a couple of access points that allow mm-hmm. him to turn the power down, and he does that. He's being a responsible radio uh, citizen. But if his neighbors don't turn their power down, d- will that actually hurt Alex now or will it still help him because he's he's just got better proximity to to his transmitters? Right. So I power and radio is a complex um, subject. And it, it a lot of times, you know, people talk about, well, I'm going to I'm going to just turn the transmitters up to the maximum volume. Um, and there are there are situations where that works well. Um, but, you know, lock yourself in a closet uh, with a microphone or a megaphone and start talking and you're going to blow your ears out pretty fast. Um, and it's it's not, a, you know, we face very similar problems in, in Wi-Fi. So, um, yeah, everyone turning their turning their radio amplifiers up to maximum and putting the biggest possible antennas they have um, does eventually if we keep going down that road, there is sort of a tragedy of the commons that happens. You know, the the, the well runs dry because everyone's taking two buckets instead of one. Um, so this is this is something that um, I think the IEEE is working on sort of adaptive power level management, um, radio resource management is becoming more and more critical. And it's, uh, you know, spectrum management is probably going to be the one of the big sort of resource issues of our of our time for the next generation or so. So how, so we, this, how we manage it. And yeah. So this it. is something that the the I mean, we can deal with as as users on our own in the short term. But in the long term, we really need the router manufacturers to help us solve this problem in a more automated way. Is, is that is that yeah, absolutely. Well, I, so I mean, go, going back to the, the the question of you know the sort of eventual shape of the network, right? Where you have 
access point like devices practically everywhere. Um, there's there's two corollaries to that, one of which is they're all going to be talking very quietly to each other. Right. Um, and the, the second one is that there's there's a lot of them. Right. So you can imagine, you know, that's seven to eight to ten billion devices, roughly um, just ballparking. Um and that's a lot of um, devices to manage. So we're going to have to figure out much more autonomous management systems, right? Ways for access points to do the RF management they need to do smartly, um, you know, well, and for the greater good, you know, there's sort of a, there's a, there's a lot of times you end up having to make trade-offs, you know, it would, this would be great for me, but it would be bad for my neighbors, right? If I, if I had the jumpy house in front of my house every day, my kids would love it, but the neighbors eventually will... So, so is is five gigahertz something to, that we should all move to for the devices that would support it because it it's so bad at going through walls? I mean, is that part of of the discussion here? Well, the next can step. I, can I add to that? Go, after go five ahead. gig is sixty, which is really bad at going through everything. All right, but I want to add to that. So, so I got a question here. Let me let me get a word in here. So, mm-hmm. yeah, go ahead, John. Yeah. This is great stuff. So. I remember actually working with, uh, so I actually remember working with, I think it was the early 90s. Uh, Proxim was one of the manufacturers. So the thing is, spread spectrum, which I guess you could consider Wi-Fi, is designed to operate. Uh, whereas, uh, you know, as you implied, Alf, I guess, you know, whereas with AM and stuff like that, it was a battle of power. Y- you can you can have Wi-Fi operating on the same channel and the same frequency and and they'll get along, but not as well. And I think that was you know what the the, the person writing the question said. But but I guess what, what Dave was leading to. But I want to expand on what on his question was. All right, so you have a number of parameters that you do have control over. So there's the channel, as Dave implied. There's the frequency and there's the width, and that you have control over. So could you comment on you know that aspect of you know if i had to set up something now you gave some good guidelines okay you know create multiple access points and that you know i actually do that here i have two i have an extension and a, and a primary but um if you could comment on that yeah so the I, best current practice right now um so in 2.4 gigahertz, where channel space is scarce, we very, very heavily, highly recommend only using 20 megahertz channels. Yes, yes, you lose some bandwidth, but it's much better for your neighbors and it's much better for your Bluetooth devices, which are also sharing that spectrum. So that's one thing to look out for. Um, at, at Apple, we made the decision not to support 40 megahertz in 2.4 because it caused too much problem for um, Bluetooth, Bluetooth in particular. Um, and I think that's become the, the standard. So that's the, the first thing is, you know, there are routers that let you do 40 megahertz, 2.4 channels. Please don't. Um, And then um, in five gigahertz, we have a lot more space. Uh, We have, you know, the propagation is is less than it is in 2.4. So the signal carries doesn't carry as far. Um, Using 40 megahertz channels in five gig is I think completely acceptable. And, you know, that there's, there's no problem there because there's so much more bandwidth. Um, and if you sit, if you sit down and chart it out, it's kind of amazing how much more, um, and we're adding bandwidth there. So the FCC is, um, unlocked a block that actually joins two other blocks. And so now we have a, a, a bigger continuous block in five gigs starting next year, um, to just add bandwidth. Um, 
one thing one thing that's happening um, with 11AC is the new 11AC radios rollout um, is you're looking at 80 megahertz and in some cases 160 megahertz channels. Um, and this is, you know, we have to the the box has to have a better number on it every year. Otherwise, no one buys anything. Um, so in order to hit that sort of marketing number, they've they've just started consuming channel space. Um, and I'm a little worried about that as a long term trend that the the um, the 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 need to you know drive the the data rate of the modems up um, or the access points up is is going to push us into a place where we're you know consuming more and more spectrum now the good news um, is that there's a degree of uh, cognitive radio going on with at least the 160 megahertz channels so a conformant 11 AC access point that's behaving well will not create that 160 megahertz channel if it sees that there's other people using it. Um, so we're going to see a lot more of that, what we call cognitive radio technology, um, which is essentially, you know, listen before you talk um, is what it really comes down to. Um, and a lot of radios don't, don't do a very good job of that. So we're, we're going to start seeing, I think, a lot more um, smarts in the access points and in the radios as to, you know, when, when, it's, when it's a good idea for them to start talking. Cool. Anything else, John, before we... I mean, I, it, as I anticipated, we could take any one of these questions and spend the entire show uh, digging into it. And I, I love that. So we'll let a lot of these go pretty deep. But mm-hmm. is there more we need to do on this one or shall we move on? John? I I think we're good. You know, the only thing that strikes me is that the, the mm-hmm. person that wrote the question is... I mean, it's almost sacrilege to say this, but if you can at all avoid doing wireless and get something wired... <laughs> do that instead and, I, and dave has been a proponent um yeah I, i'm I'm just suggesting dave is a, a i haven't used this but dave is a big proponent of a power line adapters but i, I would say if you could at all run our, uh, i'll stand behind this if you can at all run a wired connection uh you know wired i think is almost always going to give you better throughput but that's not always possible so <laughs> Just There's a lot of good things to say about wired connections. They're very reliable. They're very fast. They're very um, electric. They're energy wise. They're inexpensive. Um, so, yeah, if, if, if you can, it's usually preferable. Um, but, you know, we but like there's no contention. Like <laughs> I'm not battling with anybody on a yeah. switch. Well, maybe a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Just, well, just, if, but with your iPhone and your iPad, a wire, a, a wired connection is impossible. Essentially impossible. Correct. Right, yeah. right, right. Challenging. Chal- there you go. Thank you. Yes. Um, so I think I, so the, the next question here is about uh, uh, Wi-Fi antenna orientation. Which yeah. Is, Pete, Pete asks, he says, oh, is, yeah. is there an orientation for the previous series of Airport Express base stations? And, and really, we can kind of open this up to a, a more general thing uh, that maximizes the reception and range. So, yeah, go ahead, Elf. Yeah. Uh, so the antenna systems in those airports are definitely designed to be um, used in the natural orientation that you put them in. Um, I actually I, I'm not entirely clear on which previous generation he's talking about. Um, there there is the ones that plugged into the wall that looked very much like MacBook chargers, which are the 11G and 11N uh, or no, I'm sorry, just 11G. 11G. Yeah. Airport and then- Express. 
Um, you know, for that one, I antenna orientation, I, I don't actually remember how they were oriented in there. So I, I don't know. Um, I don't have a good answer on that one. The newer 11 ends, the ones that look like a white Apple TV, um, they're definitely designed to be put foot down on a hard surface, um, because the antennas are arrayed around the outside edge. If you, um, I, and I, and I've, I've heard the folks from Buffalo kind of rant on about this, uh, you know, and, and, and for their own products, they used to make, uh, routers and some companies still do that have movable antennas. And, and I, I remember the folks at Buffalo told me we've stopped doing that because people don't know how to aim antennas. So we have them inside the, the box and they're not changeable and we have found it to be better. But if someone does have a router that has aimable, uh, movable antennas, any general advice that we can give to them? What I always do when I run into those, and there's a, there's another question here, well, as it sort of implies polarization, um, there is actually a difference um, for a dipole antenna. So the rubber ducky, you know, looks like an antenna antenna. Yeah. Um, there is a, there's an orientation difference between vertical and horizontal, um, and we call it polarization. Um, so um, what you want for those systems is that the client and the access point have matched polarization. Um, so in the case of a, you know, a access point with two rubber duckies, I habitually, whenever I see one point one straight up and lay the other one flat. So you get, you get a vertical and a horizontal polarized, um, antenna pair at that with that setup. Um, but yeah, that's, that is, there's a level of sort of radio esoterica there that people, very few people have. Um, so that, that's how, that's how I do them. Um, I think you're almost all modern access points that I see now, especially with N, um, and, and certainly with AC, um, and I think required for AC phase two because of the TX beam forming. Um, they don't, we don't use the dipole antennas very much anymore. We tend to use what's called a planar flat array or a patch antenna. Um, and you see these inside of products that are, you know, it's a, just a little clip of silicon that's maybe a centimeter and a half across that, you know, acts like a, a different, different radiation pattern from it. It's more of a shotgun than a, um, than a donut. Okay. Okay. Right. So the, the little rabbit ear antennas, you sort of have to imagine a big donut around them. There's a torus, it's a toradial pattern. Um, a PFA is a little guy. And the reason they're, they're arrayed around the outside edge of the airport express and the new airport extremes, um, is because they're directional. They, they point in a particular direction away from their, their ground plane. Um, so it's actually what you have is sort of a is, is like it's like having a bunch of lights arrayed around the top edge that are shining out from it. Okay, so um, yeah, okay, huh? But that brings up an interesting question because yeah, from what I recall, you know, from taking physics courses and just doing some RFID work and all that, mm -hmm. in general, I think two point four is sensitive to orientation, and that if you have one antenna that's horizontal, then the best receiver is another horizontal antenna. Uh oh, is that lower? The lower the frequency, the bigger um, the bigger an issue orientation is. So um, you know, you go oh, if you go to, right. if you go if you go down into the AM frequencies, it's a big deal. Um, you know, which is why those car aerials are all vertical. Um, whereas you know FM, which is higher frequency, they they used to have like the in um, they used to have a wire antenna like in the windshield that would go up and across. So FM is less sensitive to orientation. Um, and then as we get up into the you know five. You know, at 60 gig, I don't think it really matters at all anymore. Um, oh, all right. So in the microwave, you know, 2.4 and above. Okay. No, that's, mm -hmm. that's good to know because, yeah, I mean, looking at my, so I have an airport extreme right now and I'm going to assume the 
antenna is horizontal, whereas if I look in my MacBook Pro, I'm going to assume that the antenna being in the uh, case is vertical. But uh, you're saying that's uh, really no. In the in so in the in the laptops, the antennas are actually in the hinge. They're in the little that little black piece between the screen and the keyboard has the antenna array in it. Oh, so is in it the, also horizontal then? Uh, they are horizontally polarized in that configuration. Oh. Okay. Well, in that case, then it, it does match. Or horizontally, or horizontally, uh, how do you say, aligned anyways. the um, Yeah, the, so the MacBook Airs have two antennas packed into the clutch barrel, and the MacBook Pros have three. So it's a two and three stream Wi-Fi solution, depending on which line. Right. 300 megabits at N versus 450. It, 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 theoretical they maximum. Still shared? I think, I think Dave, you, you stumbled across this once, but I think the antennas, are they still... In, in most of the Apple equipment shared between Bluetooth and Wi-Fi, depending on what's what's happening or that varies model by model. Okay. I'm okay. not, a li- I'm not a liberty to go any further into that one. Yeah. Understood. <laughs> no, I, re- I remember it was the, it, the whatever the, the first, Oh man. Oh, it was years ago that, that uh, somebody at Apple, I think it was Greg Josriak told me, you know, Oh, we're, we, we bounce back and forth, but that was only single stream. It was two antennas. They were in the bezel, and it was single stream uh, Wi-Fi and it would pick the best one for Wi-Fi, depending on where the access point was or where it could get the strongest signal and then dump Bluetooth Bluetooth off on the other one. But I, I think that was a titanium power book. I mean, this was a long time ago that uh, that 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 was the case. Very. Now, you know, say it's lossy. It's lossy and hard to switch antenna leads for a single radio. So for a Bluetooth radio to switch between one or the other is would be difficult. The Wi-Fi radio could pick one or the other as a primary. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's coexistence between Wi-Fi and Bluetooth within this is a huge, huge um, issue. A huge issue. Yes. And yeah. I, that was <laughs> one of the, one of the things that I did was work on the, the factory software that they used to keep that from happening in the manufacturing process. So. Uh. Cool. All right. Let's let's Al, jump. Could to, you comment? Oh, go ahead. Well, well, I, I think it's applicable here, but yeah, go ahead. Um, could you give your spin? So, so, so the concern was from the person that wrote in, well, how do I get the best performance? And uh, one tool that I'm just wild about and, and I use often and, and I love doing this sort of thing is uh, NetSpot uh, and doing site surveys. So I guess, uh, you know, short of, you know, there's there's theory and there's practice and, mm-hmm. you know, doing a site survey. Well, you're going to get most of the facts. Now, maybe, you know, maybe, maybe you, <laughs> you have to interpret them properly, but um, uh, could you comment a bit on, on tools like NetSpot or site surveys or, you know, how, how should, you know, is that something that should maybe play into your strategy of, you know, setting up your, uh, your Wi-Fi environment? Well, certainly for, you know, if you're, if you're an enterprise customer, or you're someone who's supporting an enterprise deployment and you want to, you know, you want to verify your installation. I think site survey tools like NetSpot and, and NetSpot is an excellent one, by the way, um, are super helpful. Um, and, you know, for, for most people in the home scenario, it might be um, a bit of overkill. Um, but, you know, it, it certainly can't hurt. I think if, if, if I was, resp- you know, if I was an IT person who was responsible for maintaining the quality of the network, I would, you know, periodically run a site survey just to, you know, know how my user's performance was. Um, and this is a big, you know, like I said, the, the, having worked on wireless usability, um, you know, just, just as an, a sort of an aside, one of the, one of the big things about, about networking, um, 
in general is the best the best user interface for networking is absolutely none right um you know if you, if you go read you know all of the science fiction canon where they talk about you know like you know a neuromancer that our hero our hero hacker jacks into the cyber network or whatever there, there is no you know asking the guy for the router password there's no going and buying the buying the day pass from the hotspot is you just turn the thing on and it works um and that's what we all want so the 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 trade-off to make that happen is we're going to have to figure out how to get, and this is happening slowly in the, in the industry, um, is we're going to have to be able to figure out how to ask devices what their experience is. Um, and so the network sort of needs to be able to aggregate that and, and make adjustments based on what, what the, the clients are telling it. Um, and there's, you know, more, more and more of that as time goes by. But I think the, the, the trend over time is going to be, you know, similar to the radio resource management issue with turning the power down when there's a lot of other radios around, you know, tuning precisely how the access points react to different clients is, is, is helps a lot. And is um, that, and a lot of the decisions have to be made so fast. It's, it's almost impossible to manually intervene. So, and is that what, what beam forming, I mean, is that one step down that path? Is that, is that what that's doing effectively? Different. So beamforming is is I mean there and there are different methods of doing beamforming um, depending on you know how how much hardware you want to throw at the problem. Okay. Um, beamforming is a, is a is a yeah absolutely. So in in beamforming systems you you have an the antenna array and it's always always an array um, is looking for the best combination of factors to send signal to each individual client, right? Um, and the, 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 the limit of this, there was a company um, that made, uh, called Vivato, um, and they made a, a Wi-Fi panel antenna that was as big as a car. Um, and it literally had more than a thousand separate radios in it, or hundreds, maybe not that many. It was it was a few years ago, um, and they, you know, they had a system where you could put this thing up on top of a building, and it would essentially pinpoint any number of devices. So it was able to, you know, so for stadiums and places where you just have an incredibly large number of people, um, you have to use that kind of technique and technology to focus the beams in the right place. Um, this helps, you know, this, this ultimately is going to help us with the sort of congestion problem. Um, so a, Beamforming gives you what we call spatial diversity. You can you can point the energy in one direction and not point it in another direction, um, and that allows you know. So you have channel and space and time are the three main you know places to run from interference, um, and that beamforming is going to be a lot. And I think the the the, the type of beamforming that's in eleven AC, um, the sort of active beamforming, is going to sort of raise the beamforming level in the industry up to a, a much higher level than it has been. Um, but the, the new Apple Extreme base station has a you know very advanced beamforming solution in it, um, and the antenna array is designed specifically for that. So you know we're we're going that way as an industry for sure. Cool. All right, let's jump to uh, let's jump to Slough's question because it's it's all kind of interrelated, but it'll 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 spark us down a different path. So let's take it away, Slough. Greetings, John and Dave. It's Slough. How you doing? So listen, uh, here's my Wi-Fi dilemma. Oh man, and I was gonna send it to feedback uh, at uh, Mackie Gap, but you know, I don't know. I couldn't remember whether it was feedback or feedback. Anyway, uh, I was going to type this, but, you know, I'll get carpal tunnel syndrome. So here, here it is in a huge nutshell. I have two networks, all right? I have a home network, and then in the same building, but several floors 
away. I have a business network, okay? And here's the thing. Um, I have my laptop set to sort of like uh, the priority is my business network. And the thing is, everything works fine until I go home. And then, like, I flip open my laptop, and it always, like, latches onto my uh, business network where the signal strength isn't that good, and I sort of like constantly have to like switch it over manually from the menu bar, uh, you know, to the home network. And I thought that in the network uh, system preferences, you know, the location thing was the answer. Oh, I thought, okay, great, let me cre- create one for home, create one for for work. But the thing is, if I drag the priority, sort of the the networks, into a different order, um, it's not sort of exclusive to each location, like if I change the order of the network, I can only, it seems I can only have one order. And so, I don't know, I'm scratching my head. I'm thinking, shouldn't it be that, uh, you know, sort of each location profile uh, is completely independent in terms of that network list? Uh, Apparently not, I guess. And I'm just, I'm just at a loss. Um, If you guys have any ideas, I would love to hear them. Thanks so much. And uh, I won't get caught. See ya. Bye. All right. So this is this is a question. I mean, Slough has a, a unique situation. But, wow. but it, no, it, that's a that's actually a good. One. But it brings up. Yeah, it's something that we all kind of have dealt with in different environments at times. So my first answer, and this may not be preferable for Slough because he's got his business in his home. But my answer would be name them all the same and let the client decide which access point to connect to. But maybe Alf, you have a better answer. I don't know. Or maybe you don't. Yeah. So, well, there's, okay. So there's, there's, um, we might, we might pull in, there's a question about, um, uh, how to fake a guest network. Um, and you know what, and so that, and that gets to what the purpose of a guest network is. So the first question is, okay, why, why have two separate networks? Um, you know, in this case, if, you know, there's a business requirement, so, you know, for instance, um, the processing credit card information, for instance, there are specific legal requirements that you have to go through if you're holding on to that. So depending on what the business is, um, there may be a valid reason to have a separate network with different security. Um, it's unfortunately kind of a tricky proposition to make one work and the other one not. Um, the particular, so Slough has correctly reverse engineered um, the system, the sort of network uh, configuration issue there. There is a single list of Wi-Fi networks to which you have previously associated and a single list of um, of, of preferred order. You don't, you don't get one per network location. Um, and I, I'm sorry about that. Um, <laughs> I, I, I hope we get to keep having network locations moving forward. Um, right. That's, you know, right. that could easily become a victim of the simplification of, uh, you know, the continuing simplification of Mac OS as it's a, it's a confusing feature that causes all sorts of, uh, support problems. Yep. Um, if you don't have an overriding security um, reason to set to separate the two networks, um, then yeah, the the suggestion to flatten them out and use the same network name is the simplest solution to the problem. Um, if if you do have some other requirement for it, um, it it's I'm, I'm afraid there's really no 
simple answer. Um, as long as you can see a network that's higher priority than another one, it, the system will try and join it, um, even if it's just at the edge of. I mean, like there are definitely situations where you can connect to an access point that you can just barely see. It doesn't provide useful service, while there's another one on your list that's much closer. Um, that would provide useful service. Um, and that's, I, I would say that's a bug in the Mac OS Wi-Fi client. Um, so you can, you can always submit those to Apple. Um, and yeah, I'm sorry. That's, that's an unfortunate case though. Yep. Yep. Okay. All right. Well, let me that, go ahead, John. Spec, well, let me speculate on a solution here. So one, I'm wondering if this is something you could script and, Alf, I'm, I'm actually a, a .NET programmer. Don't hate me for that, but uh, that, that's my expertise. I've dabbled with Xcode. I still like .NET and Visual Studio. It's 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 pretty awesome, actually. I don't know if you've messed with it, but anyways, I've, um, I've had I've me, had enough it, I've had enough exposure to .NET to say I'm very sorry. <laughs> Dude, it's really not that bad. It's a pretty rich set, but um, and uh, I'm I'm trying to remember the people that make the cross platform uh, uh tool set. You think you're thinking of Yes. And I, yeah, I, did I think some, so. I did some work on Dunbarton. So, yeah, I, again, I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> well, all I say is, hey, hey, for, for what I've programmed for, including low level stuff, uh, .NET isn't isn't that bad. Um, so uh, we'll, we'll agree to disagree. But to me, it, it, it seems just a simple matter of being able to write a rule. And I don't know under OS 10 whether you do this with Apple script, but, but the rule to me would be, OK, if uh, so, the rule would be, all right. If signal strength, or otherwise known as RSSI, right, uh, in, mm -hmm. you know, RF, uh, RF terminology, if signal strength of this access point is stronger than this one, then connect to one or the other. Now, I don't know if you could do this through AppleScript, or uh, this is a tool that we have mentioned. I, I haven't really used it that much. I think Dave has called Control Plane, uh, or even Automator. And I don't know if, if the OS makes that level of detail available and, uh, and i think you would know better than i would you know could you write a script saying you know check this and check this and whoever has the the the, the stronger signal because it sounds like that's what slough is looking for is well, he you, wants the best signal control plane is um you can have all kinds of different uh, criteria that you can use to decide context right context but is is signal strength one of the pieces of context well it I'm wouldn't suspecting maybe it's not it wouldn't need to be necessarily you could say if i can see this wi-fi printer or even if i can right i mean there's all kinds of different things that you could use to latch onto if i can see this bluetooth device then you know be certain that my context is a versus b right that that would be a way right. to to, to deal with that. But the question then is if we can get the context, right? How do we then tell it, pick this particular Wi-Fi network and, and maybe control plane will do right. that. I, I don't know. Um, maybe control. Right, because plane. right now the rule, the, the rule set, which is, you know, here's the priority list and it's, it's not granular to the location. That's his observation and his complaint. And, and I understand what he's saying. Yeah is that it's dumb. It's like, well, it's not dumb. It's just, it was just written that way. It was just written where, okay, here's the priority, no matter what your location is. I, I guess the other solution is, okay, let's write the, the Wi-Fi software so that each location has its own unique uh, preferred network, right? That's the other thing. <laughs> 
that so I yeah and, and we and we were just talking about network locations versus physical locations so there's right. a there's a couple of different you know questions about um, uh, what, what we mean when we say that uh, I think you know in my mind the rule is connect to the right network um, which is you know boils down to the old technology cry of you know do what I mean um, and it's it is definitely a, a, a hard uh, or it's a complex decision Um Certainly location sensitivity is coming up. In fact, I think I just I saw a patent came come through patently Apple where they talked about, you know, location, uh, physical location sensitive security constraints. So your passcode is turned off when you're at home, but it's on whenever you're out and about. Um, maybe it's off when you're connected to your car kit so you don't have to unlock your phone while you're driving. Um, not that you should ever touch your phone while you're driving, but, you know, um, so the yeah the sort of the system reacting to the environment um wi-fi the, the wi-fi client unfortunately is a little bit sort of stuck in you know i sit down i open up my laptop and it just it's going to pick the right network um <clears throat> well what about wait what if we go if we rewind and have him throttle down the power on the transmitter of the router in his office such that it doesn't reach two floors down to his to his living abode if the purpose of having that separate network is security, I think that's a double win. Yeah. I don't know that. I mean, I, 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 I can't think of anything else that would be doable today. Right. I mean, it, there's all kinds of things that should be solved and, and the ways it should be, and hopefully it will be. But today, maybe that's his answer. I don't know. Wow. I think that might be that might be a good interim solution. If again, if if the hardware that he's using um, has that capability, um, I, I think there's actually this is this is an area where I think there's a lot of room for improvement in the marketplace. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Right, <laughs> right, yeah. Well, you know that, that's right. It, opportunity is uh, is exactly what you need uh, these days. So that's a good thing for you. Um, well, I saw someone else suggest here. Uh, did this come up? Uh, you, you could set up one access point to do Mac filtering or kind of reverse Mac filtering and that it could block. But he wants it to work when he's in his office. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so right. When he's okay, in the studio, yeah, that, he that, wants that it. He out. wants it to work. Yeah. All right. So it, it, hmm. along these lines, uh, a year ago when we talked, I, I asked you this one question. And I, I, I want to re just re-ask it and just for confirmation or perhaps if there's a change. But uh, one of the things you sort of enlightened us to last year was uh that went the, the the whole concept of let the client decide, name the networks the same, and let the client decide, and that's that's true not only for when you have multiple routers uh, on the same uh, uh, spectrum, but also when you have routers on different spectrums or or radios on different spectrums, both two point four and five gigahertz in your home. Name the uh, the networks the same, and let the client decide. Now that. That's easier said than done at times. In fact, this weekend I was uh, at my uncle's house and his Netgear router would not let me name the 2.4 and 5 gigahertz networks the same, which was sort of uh, annoying. So is that still your advice? And, and why would someone not why would Netgear build their routers not to do that? Um, well, let's take a, I mean, if, take a, take a step back and let's yeah. look at, you know, what, what, what is a Wi-Fi network, right? right. Um, so the box that you purchase is an access point, right? Um, that access point contains one or more, um, radios. Um, 
So uh, although I think actually, and, and I'm, I'm being imprecise there because I believe in the technical specification, each radio is an access point, but for, you know, and, and that's only going to confuse okay. things, I guess, moving sure. forward. But the, the first thing to understand is, is as far as the client is concerned, um, a single access point with two radios doesn't look any different than two separate access points with a single radio. Makes sense. Okay. So, um, so a regular, you know, a, a Wi-Fi network has, um, or I'm sorry, a Wi-Fi radio has an identifier um, called the BSSID, which is the Basic Service Set Identifier, um, and that's its MAC address, right? And so we're familiar. That's one of the, you know, one of the one of the things that iStumber will display to you. Um, that identifies a particular radio. The the string, the network name, the SSID or service set identifier identifies the network as a group. Okay, um, and there's there's a couple of issues with this. The first one is that the clients, because of the specification, assume that all networks with the same name are all. See, I it's it's hard to keep all the terms straight. I'm, I'm goofing up as I go. All. Um, radios that it can see that have the same name or attached to the same network. Um, and in some cases we know that's just wrong, right? So Linksys is a popular example. Sure. Um, so like all those Linksys networks don't point to the same place. I mean, ultimately they all go to the internet. You hope. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but the yeah, point point the, made, the, right. Yeah. yeah the, the path, the path there might be a little bit different. Um, and, um, you know, I've seen operators try to stitch together a bunch of different networks under the same name and then come back and say, well, we don't understand why the clients aren't roaming correctly. And it's like, well, they're not supposed to. Sorry. Right. Um, and I mean, and that's, you know, this is this is the the specifications are have to evolve to deal with this stuff. Right. We, we, we didn't we didn't build Wi-Fi planning to make operator networks. We built it for home and business networks. Right. Um, so there's some adaption that has to happen there. Um so whether you have two access points, both on 2.4 with separate on um, separate channels, or whether you have a single access point with two radios, one and two, four and five, the clients treat them more or less the same. Um, they do a scan of all the all the channels they think they should be looking at, um, and that varies country to country. Um, and they pick this. They pick the signal. They pick the the radio, not necessarily with the best signal, um, but the one that they predict will give them the best throughput. Um, so there's, you know, because of five gigahertz um, propagation uh, slowness, or because it doesn't travel as far, you will you will often see a five gigahertz signal that is weaker, um, has a lower RSSI, uh, which is received signal strength indicator, is what that uh, what that expands out to. By the way, if you're not familiar, um, so RSSI is really just signal strength um you can get better throughput on a five gig radio at a lower rssi because it has wider channels and higher and higher level encodings and, and other tricks right so there, there are situations where you're going to connect to not necessarily the strongest radio but the radio you think is going to give you the best throughput hmm. um and those are, I mean, those are non-trivial decisions to make, right? Um, I mean, there's, you know, I think um, getting back to the point about, you know, every every different model of Mac and phone and, you know, every, really every device in the marketplace has a slightly different antenna system, um, which have different strengths and weaknesses. So you really do have to leave it to the clients to make the decisions because they're the ones that have the information about what they're seeing. Um, and the case of the, would you say it was a D-Link or a D-Link one that wouldn't let you? It was, a, it was a Netgear router. Netgear? Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> 
I would I would actually bet that they did that because they got a sufficient number of support complaints from sure. people who were having trouble with roaming. Like just in terms of why they would do that as a, a business process right. point of view, I'm, I bet it was enough of a support issue that they thought they would get less calls, um, even though I don't think that's the best way to set up the network. So. Sure. Yeah, no, they're, it makes sense. That makes they're sense. Not op- they're not optimizing for your user experience. They're optimizing for their own support costs. But, you know. That actually makes perfect sense. Even if it's just the people that call and say, I can't find my five gigahertz network. What do you mean? This thing has two radios in it, right? That Exactly. Yep. All right. So uh, uh, we've got a couple more things we'll go to go through here, but I, I want to take a minute and uh, thank and mention our second sponsor for this episode, which is gazelle uh, at gazelle.com. Gazelle runs a really cool service. It's super, super simple. Uh, the whole idea is you take your old devices, your old iOS devices, your old Mac devices that you don't use anymore and you turn them into cash and they make this happen pretty much magically and without any more effort from you than is absolutely necessary. You start by going to their website. You don't even tell them who you are at first and you just shop through. You tell them what you click, what kind of device you have. And you can do this from your iPhone. I have, I have done the entire process from my phone and it, it their mobile UI is perfect. It works great. Uh, you you start by telling them what general classification is. Is it a tablet? Is it a phone? Is it a, a, a laptop? And, and then you drill down, you tell them what, what kind, what size, what color, what carrier, if it's a phone or, or, a, or an iPad that that's on the, you know, that's got uh, 4g or, or even 3g and, and you drill down and you tell them what kind of condition it's in and they give you a price. If you like the price, they then they ask for your name, but only because they've got to send you a box. They need your address to send you this box inside. You've paid nothing, right? You money never leaves your hands. Uh, the box arrives free of charge to you. You put the device in the box. The box has the tape in it. It's got a new shipping label that you slap on the front. You send it back to them. They evaluate it. Make sure that a, you put something in the box and what you put in the box is what uh, you said you were going to put in the box. They also evaluate the quality. Uh, I have never had gazelle. I've done this several times and I don't think I've even heard from listeners that have had this issue. Uh, But gazelle typically uh, they, they, they give you a guide as to picking the quality uh, of the device and they really stick with that. You know, I've, I've never misjudged uh, a device except once I said it was good and they said it was excellent. Uh, so they actually wound up giving me more money, but they stopped. They said, wait a minute, uh, before we send you your money, we need to tell you we've uh, deemed that the quality of this device is different than you did. So uh, we want to make sure you're okay with this. Can we send you more money for your device? Now, if you had overstated the, the condition of your device, it would happen on the on the reverse side as it should. Uh, but they don't do anything that would change the nature of the deal, uh, even if it's something that presumably would be in your favor. They wait for you to say, yep, I'm good with that, which, of course, in this situation I did. And uh, and they then sent me my money. I, I choose to get my money from them via PayPal. Uh, you can have them write you a check if you prefer it that way. And you can also have them give you an Amazon gift card. And oftentimes you get an extra, uh, I think it's an extra 5% on top of that uh, because they're giving it to you as Amazon bucks. So if they make it super, super simple, they are great people to deal with. Their customer service is fantastic. And, uh, and we've, we've heard countless stories from folks that have just had uh, great, great experiences. They just go out of their way. They understand over there at Gazelle 
that every business is the customer service business. And, uh, and it's really important. There's, there's unfortunately some, some vendors surprisingly even that don't get that uh, in, in every, in every field. And Gazelle totally gets that and they live by that. So check them out. Gazelle.com through the checkout process. You will uh, be given an option to tell them where you heard about them. Mac geek gab is in the drop down there. So they make it super easy. You just choose Mac geek gab. And that is that. So check them out. Gazelle.com. And, uh, and you can start turning your old electronics into cash, which, Hey, cash, right? That's good. Or Amazon bucks, which for most of us is exactly as good as cash because we spend all our money at Amazon anyway. So check them out. Gazelle.com. Uh, all right, let's, um, let's, let's, I like cash. I like caches. They speed things up. Cash is good. Cash is good. Yeah, well, you well know. both caches are good. Right. That's right. Well, cash can speed things up too. My money talks. Uh, <laughs> we, you could use your cash to buy a cash to cash your cash. You can. In fact, Whoa. we used to spend money to buy cash, but now it just comes with the computers and devices. It's, uh, you know, it's how cash exception. That's right. All right. Uh, I, you know, this is a curious question, and, and I'm, I'm going to let Andrew ask it, and then we'll, uh, we'll, see, what, we'll see what he has to say. Hey, John. Hey, Dave. Hey, Pilot Pete. It's Andrew in Sydney, Australia. See, you got the Wi-Fi guy coming in, so i got a question for him. A couple of years ago when I was living in America, I used to go to London, England quite a bit. I had reason to buy an Airport Express while I was there, which I did. And uh, when I got it back to uh, configure it uh, in the hotel, it would only bring up in the countries that you could choose, European countries. <clears throat> and, it, and, and I was wondering why this airport express and it's the the one about the size of a you know a packet of cigarettes it's not the newer hockey puck one it didn't seem to transmit as far as the uh, airport expresses that i had that i'd bought in america and i'd also bought in australia and it made me think and with a little bit of google foo uh, i found out that in some european countries wi-fi transmitters have lower uh, power so i've got two questions for the wi-fi guru one is this correct that in europe um the Wi-Fi transmission wattage is lower than, say, for the Americas, Asia, Australia versions. Uh, and secondly, is there any way with this Airport Express of um, being able to update the firmware to get it off the European ones and onto the Americas, Asia, uh, Australia firmware? So that's it from me. Thanks again for everything, boys. And uh, don't get caught. Bye. Thanks, Andrew. Yeah, th- this question, as as I hear it again, and it, this struck me the first time, it seems like there's something about African and European swallows that should be mentioned here, but uh, but I'm not sure exactly what. So you have he, to know these things when you're a king, you know. I, what, what is the what is the channel capacity of an African swallow? Um, right. Unladen. That's right. Yes. <laughs> well, that depends on the regulatory environment it's flying through now, doesn't it? <laughs> it sure does. um, yeah. So there there is a. Um, So the junk bands are kind of funny things. Um, So 2.4 gigahertz is sort of infamously the the same frequency as microwave ovens. Um, And uh, the reason most of the junk bands have been allocated as they have to things like Wi-Fi, which is unlicensed usage, um, is because they're kind of junk. Um, so 2.4 gig attenuates with water in the atmosphere and thus doesn't travel far enough for most reasonable commercial usages. Um, five gig is, is less problematic, but most of the five gig channels that we have are either um, um, 
harmonics of that 2.4 gig water frequency or there's something else wrong with them that makes them poor choices for propagation. Um, and, you know, as, as you go up and down in the spectrum and look at, you know, the, the next big um, chunk that we're getting is in 60 gig um, and that's attenuated by oxygen in the atmosphere. Um, so and it doesn't go through really anything at all. Um, so we're, we're given these these bands by various regulatory agencies, either FCC or Etsy or, uh, the, you know, APAC has Asia Pacific, excuse me, has a bunch of different ones, depending on where you are. Um, and they're given with different power levels and rules about what channels we can use. Um, and a lot of it has to do uh, with incumbency. So in, in France, for example, um, and I think this has gotten better, but. Um, originally, there were only one or two Wi-Fi channels that you could use um, because the French military had reserved the rest of them for some targeting system, right? Um, uh -huh. So you can, yeah. So I mean, it's it's one thing when the FCC van comes by; it's another thing when a you know guided missile decides that your access point is really its um, uh, target. Yeah, that's um, bad. That's bad, right? Yeah, not <laughs> not not the not not the best uh, outcome for you. You know, usability wise, that's not a good scenario. scenario. Oh. Um, so, yeah, but you're almost guaranteed not to have interference on that channel while you're using it. Uh, uh, up to up to the point where you have infinite interference. Sure. Well, right, right, exactly. Yeah, well, you won't find interference on that channel. It finds you. There you go. Exactly. Um, so don't get caught. Um, is that, is that is that our phrase now? That is. Never, oh yeah. You never you never see yeah you never see the white van until it's too late. Is sort of my favorite. Um, <laughs> So, uh, you know, one of the jobs of the client team people that work on this stuff is is figuring out and mapping out what regulatory compliance means in what regions. Um, and typically we have the, there's sort of an FCC region, which is almost all of the Americas. Um, Canada and Mexico just sort of go along mostly with what we say. Um, there's uh, Etsy, which covers most of Europe as uh, European telecommunications, something, something. Um, APAC covers most of Asia and, and the Pacific, including probably Australia, where the caller is from. Um, each is each is different and special and unique. Um, and some are better and some are worse. Um, and the problem with roaming devices and clients, of course, is that now I have, you know, the, my phone and my laptop, you know, like I was purchased in the United States, but suddenly I find myself on European vacation. So what channels am I supposed to use? Um, unfortunately, I don't think there's any way to change an older airport express like the one he's talking about. We're going back to the 11 G express again. Um, and I don't know off the top of my head. I, if, that one's resettable after the fact, um, unfortunately. And so you, you might, you might find an answer on the internet. I just, I don't have that one in my head. Um, the way most access points work now is you can tell it what region it's in. Um, and it will, do the access point will do two things. The first one is it'll beacon that it'll, it'll advertise and say, okay, Hey, welcome to America. Um, and that's how clients, clients who see that beacon can say, okay, it looks like I'm in America. So I'm going to search for these channels. Um, the problem and, you know, your, your friends, uh, our callers, neighbors might be noticing this is that if, um, if an access point sees multiple country code beacons, uh, or if a client rather sees multiples, it can have a very hard time deciding who to believe. Oh. Um, and some countries, and like I said, so, you know, you have the, the case of sort of the French military owning a chunk of 2.4 gig and not wanting to give it up. Um, different countries have different scan, have different lists there. Um, even within the United States um, in five gigahertz, there are incumbent radar operators in five gig. 
Um, and so uh, there are a bunch of the five gig channels or what we call DFS. Um, and so what the radio, um, you're not allowed to transmit on them until you've listened for some interval to make sure that there aren't radar chirps in the background. Um, so a big chunk of the five gig spectrum, you know, before you can use that channel, you have to you know listen and make sure that you're not interfering with an existing radar operator. Um, <clears throat> that slows down the scanning process. It takes longer to scan those channels. Um, and if your client has a mismatched list, it's going to get it's it might skip a channel that it would otherwise have searched. Um, and so you can you can start you start seeing problems like missing access points and, and other things. Um, what would be nice, I think, is if we is if we got a better um, better international agreements in place as to you know what channels we're going to make available um and at what power levels i think that's that's sort of the the longer term solution um you know shorter term it, it's if, if you have out of country gear it's it's nice if you can change it to whatever the correct locale is because that's just polite um i know i know people in the industry who have you know neighbors with a german access point that just drives them up the wall because <laughs> um, they see it and they know um so this is this is you know regulatory anything regulatory is going to be complicated and yeah it sounds like you've run into an interesting problem huh yeah yeah all so right now, if i'm if i'm a, i'm to understand so, so i was just dabbling with the airport utility while you were mm-hmm. uh, talking here and uh, annoyingly enough i see differences so i have two different airports i have an airport express which is newer and i have a um uh, airport extreme which is older Mm-hmm. And even then, I notice when I go to both of them. So if I go to the airport utility, the wireless tab, and then wireless options, there's an option for me to list the country that I'm in. Mm-hmm. And and so from what I'm seeing, it seems to be isolated here. So I'm looking here, and it says Argentina, Brazil, Canada, blah blah. I'm going to assume I, I have a North or or an Americas uh, airport, I guess, and then they, and that they let me fine tune it to where exactly I am. Of course, I say United States, but I could say U.S. Virgin Islands, Peru, Mexico, Guatemala. Is yeah, the one, the one just, I've got is the same. It's all, it's all Western Hemisphere. Or Western Hemisphere. So, so is that at some level fine-tuning what channels or power levels it, it can use or not use? Correct. Yeah, that'll put you in the correct regulatory regime. So that's... I, I, I haven't had an opportunity to travel with these base stations much, so I generally I can't give you a good good answer on this one. This this will take some. We might have to take this one offline and do some digging. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Well, right, it, but, it, but it does bring up a good point. I, I I had not realized, and actually, you bring up a great point, is that that this is included in the in the beacon, and that if you set it, so say I bring my base to Mexico, and then I start mm-hmm. using it, I could be causing grief for everybody around me because it's going to be saying, "Hi, I'm in the U.S.," and it's like, "No, you're in Mexico." No, you're in. The- <laughs> I didn't know that was part of the protocol. So right now, uh, yeah, it's eleven eight hundred two dot eleven D provides country code. Um, information elements in the beacon frame. So yeah, that goes out um, and iStumbler displays them. So you can see. Hey, there you go. There you go. All right. Uh, I'm going to bring us out. We'll, we'll have one last question here, uh, which actually was asked by several listeners this week. It, it, it isn't specifically Wi-Fi, but I think it's a good conversation for the three of us to, to have. And, and really the question comes down to this, uh, 
we've got some some users, uh, some listeners who, uh, for various reasons, want to know how they're using all of the bandwidth that their ISP says they're using. Uh, they, they have, uh, you know, I think, I think they're both with Comcast and they have ways of uh, Comcast has told them uh, you're using X amount of bandwidth. One guy is actually moving to a, a more rural provider and uh, will get a whole lot less available bandwidth when he, uh, when he does this. And so he wants to know how is this working? how, you know, what am I what am I doing that's using all of this bandwidth? And it's a tough question. There is no off the top of my head. There's no magic way of saying, uh, yes, uh, you're you know, half of it is email and, and half of it is web surfing and half of it is Netflix, um, because that would be a bad thing to say. But uh, but I can't even say that. I, I don't know what answer to give him. So. Uh, John, do you want to start this well, one and then pass it off well, to Al? I think, I think I'll start it and then pass it to Al. So, so I found various tools, and, and I guess I, I'll just open it up. I won't drill in too deep because I, 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 want, to, I want to throw it to Alf and just see how he, mm-hmm. if, if, you know, he can catch the ball here. Um, but, but to me, there are two places that you could do this. So one, you could do this on the router. And I would say for the most part, except for the most recent Apple router, which decided to gut the SNMP, simple network management protocol layer, there is no way to ask it, hey, how much traffic has passed through you? As far as I know, maybe there's a secret way, but SNMP, as far as I know, is the way to do that. The other way to do that is to install something on all of your computers or clients, not just Macs, but your iOS devices and all that, and say, hey, can you tell me? how much you're using. And uh, I guess I'll open it up with that is that to me, that's uh, and may- maybe a, a good solution uh, or a third solution would be that there's somebody outside of your environment, like a proxy server or DNS or something like that. So, so I'll offer not one, not two, but three potential places you could do this. So one on each of your devices, two on your router and three, an external box, whether it be a proxy server or DNS. Uh, to me, those are the three places you could do it. I haven't really thought about it too much. I have a few things to throw in, but I, I'd like to get your uh, your take on it, Alf. Well, I think your your first line of defense um, is actually built in. So you have Activity Monitor on your macOS systems. And if you're running the most recent uh, 10.9 builds, if you go to the Network tab in there, um, it will actually tell you per application um, how many bytes you've sent and received um, for the duration of the app running. Um, so if you if you do want to find out on your and that's the key though is that if I quit the app then that goes away. Yeah, but, but, I, I I habitually run Activity Monitor in the background just as you know power user tool. Okay, um, but yeah, but if I'm continually running an app then then so say I'm always running Safari as long mm-hmm. as I don't quit it then okay and and that's awesome. Yeah, I noticed that too. The uh, the utilities and Activity Monitor in in. Uh, the latest OS is just the latest released OS is just awesome in, in the amount of data it gives you. So yeah, I'm with you on that. It, it, it was a huge, big, big improvement in this version. I'm, I'm, I'm happy they did that. Um, it is, it is possible in Mac OS to, you know, track, and obviously they're doing this here to, you know, track process by process, how much bandwidth is being consumed. Um, so that's kind of the first line of defense. I have, um, I actually investigated a number of different SNMP utilities um, for doing this on the router and generally they will give you how much bandwidth that you're 
you're using, um, but they don't do what you call what we call application recognition, which is to say, okay, well, this was a web traffic for Facebook, and this was your BitTorrent traffic, and this was not that you would be using that, um, and you know, this was your Tor traffic, not that you'd be using that. Um, broken out. So that's actually a very, that's a fairly high end, um, router network management feature. Um, unfortunately, I think, I think this is something, you know, this is, again, we get back to, you know, the, the job of usability in, in the networking space is to get out of the user's way as much as possible and just let them download cat pictures. Cause that's what they really want to do. Um, on the one hand. Um, but then, you know, if, if you are having trouble, um, I, I think, and this is, you know, the part where I, I like to think I contribute some, having good tools that clearly point out to you what's going on, you know, so, so having visibility, I think is pretty important. Um, and so I have, I just dug through my applications folder here. So net use traffic monitor is one that, you know, I've used to, mo to monitor total bandwidth on the router. Um, and that seems to work reasonably well, or it did last time I used it. Um, there are a number of other SNMP tools that I, I tested out. I don't think any of them I found to be particularly, um, <clears throat> this is, this is the one I'm going to, I'm going to say it's worth checking out. Um, but again, this is, you know, what did, what did I say earlier when the guy was talking about location specific settings? There's, there's an opportunity here. So. Yep. Yep. Yeah. But, but, you know, so, I mean, we have, potential abilities to test these with our computers, but in, and, and track this with our computers, but how do we mm -hmm. track what our Apple TV is doing? How do we track what our Roku box is doing? Right. There, I mean, that, that then becomes something very difficult to do with the current environment of routers that we have. It, well, and the and the reason being, you know, we, we talked about that new router having two, you know, a dual core 800 megahertz processor. Um, so what you're, you know, the routers, your networking equipment in general is, you know, the, the sort of original design goal for most of the Internet protocols was that routers should be able to make their routing decisions very quickly um, and without, you know, delaying the traffic. Right. So routers. Routing equipment, access points, they, sh they strive to be relatively dumb in terms of what they do to the traffic that passes through them, right? Their, their job is not to inspect, you know, I'm not, it's, it's like, the postal, like the postal service, right? If the postal service opened and read every email that you, or every physical mail that you sent around, like not only would nobody use it because of the privacy issues, but it would also run incredibly slow. Right. Um, so prior, prior restraint is an expensive operation, no matter where you're doing it. Um, so, yeah, th to have the ability to sort of tap uh, the network flow and look at it in a in a way that's comprehensible. Um, you know, I don't know if you, you guys have probably got some experience with the sort of you know protocol analyzers that people use. None of none of them provide particularly good um, or particularly clear view of how much traffic is going where. And none that I've seen, um, maybe the closest one, um, and this is focused on layer two is the, uh, IPA, E Y E P A, which is a, a windows only program, unfortunately. Um, but it provides basically a sort of pie chart of where all of your airtime is going. Right. So that's useful for people doing, you know, Wi-Fi protocol debugging, but something very, very similar, you know, where is my network time doing? I think it, where is all my network time going is a totally valid question. Um, and you know, whether we, whether we separate out, um, what's happening inside the connections or not, I think just having statistics, right. How many, how many 
packets have I sent into ice into, you know, Facebook's network or, um, you know, some other particular target is, is useful information. So, um, yeah, I would love to see routers provide much better performance, um, information. Cause I think, you know, user experience for networking in general is, is it's a, it's a CPR thing is my, my rubric for it. You, you need connectivity, you need performance and you need reliability. Once you have all three of those together, then the network's really working for you once without, and anyone one of those failures is is you know ruins the rest of the game so yeah right well it's it's um i yeah like you said there's opportunity there so i know this this is great i've got i've got product plans for the next 18 months right? i know just I know. just from this one just from this one show that's right that's right <laughs> well that's that's what we're here for is asking the tough questions so all right. Uh, well, we have asked a lot of tough questions. We've given a lot of tough answers, but uh, but we're now at uh, almost an hour and a half, so it's time to move on. It's been fun, though. Thanks for hanging out with us, Alf. Alf, um, uh, we're, we're going to go through and tell people how to find us, and then after that, we're going to have people. We're going to have you one last time tell us uh, how to find you. So uh, you can find us if you need to send in a question or comment as. Uh, as one of our listeners, I think it was Slough mentioned, it is in fact feedback at macgeekab.com. Right, John? Dave? I, I, I wasn't sure I heard you, if you can hear me, but I do believe you said feedback at macgeekab.com. That's right. And uh, you can call us at 206 666 Geek, which, John, is. Four three three five, and pick one other way, John, that uh, that folks can contact us. Well, we're on the Twitters. I am John F. Braun. He is Dave Hamilton. That other guy who sometimes uh, uh, hangs out very close to Dave is a uh, Pilot Pete. The podcast is MacGeekab, and the publication is Mac Observer, and that's a perfect on Twitter. Com. That's a perfect time to uh, to throw it to you, Alf. Why don't you tell us again where we can we can find you and all of the stuff that you're up to? Yeah, absolutely. So um, iStumbler is iStumbler.net. That's I-S-T-U-M-B-L-E-R. Um, you can I'm on the Twitter as iStumbler and on Facebook occasionally as iStumbler um, and uh, there's a page there that you're welcome to like and enjoy the occasional post on um, and if you need to send an email uh, just alf A-L-F at iStumbler.net is the best way um, so sweet thanks for uh, thanks so much for hanging out with us Alf this has been uh, this has been a blast frankly and uh, so we will we will definitely look forward to uh, hearing from you again uh, when I don't know either when the Wi-Fi questions pile up or when you've got something cool to to talk to us about so uh, I, all, I, I, I definitely want to thank Michael Johnston he is the, the host of the iOS show also the publisher of getappler.com. He publishes or uh, he creates the chapterized enhanced AAC version of this show for all of us uh, here and all of you. Uh, let's see. We also want to thank Cashfly, C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com, because they do a great job over there uh, getting the bandwidth from us to you. The podcast marketplace includes Barebones Software, Smile at smilesoftware.com, Gazelle, as we mentioned, Squarespace at squarespace.com slash MGG, Lynda.com slash MGG, iFixit, all through the Backbeat Media Podcast Network. John, any lasting advice? Alf did share it once during the show, but, uh, but I figured it's best to, to share it one last time here.
I think Alf got away with it and that the, uh, the, the advice is basically don't get caught. Yeah. Made up.